Welcome to the Why Not You podcast, where our goal is to inspire, teach, and elevate your personal journey. Our heart-centered guests love sharing some of their life-changing aha moments, hoping that it might be of benefit to you. Welcome to the Why Not You podcast. On the line with us today is Vicki Cortez, founder of Hope Builders, which is a nonprofit disaster relief construction company. She's a best-selling author, a mentor, a coach, speaker, and facilitator of transformational retreats. Vicki, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. Thank you, Glade. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. Vicki, due to the urgency of the events of Hurricane Ian in southern Florida this past week, we are going to forego some of the, you know, where you grew up and all that kind of stuff and get right into the meat of the message. Let's go back about five or six years, and you had a God whisper, if we will, and tell us a little bit about that when you were sitting in your home in Massachusetts, and uh, what was that God whisper? Whew, it was a powerful one, that's for sure, as it typically is with him. But I was sitting at home, and Hurricane Maria was in the process of hitting Puerto Rico, actually. And the newscaster had just got done saying that it was going to be a Category 6 hurricane, which any weather buffs know there's no such thing as a Category 6 hurricane. I have a home there over in Vieques, Puerto Rico, and I had fallen in love with the island, but more so the people. And I was just praying, Lord, please keep everybody safe on the island. And I went to bed and next morning I woke up and there was nothing, no news at all. So I just kept lurking, looking, but there was, you know, we just knew it was bad, no connection to Puerto Rico. So we just didn't know exactly what happened. So I was at the gym on the treadmill about two days after the storm. And I happened to look up and all of the TV screens were showing the devastation of Puerto Rico and the mudslides going through buildings and people walking around like it was a war zone. And I just started praying, Lord, what could I possibly do to help these people? And it was just crying and it just came to me, you're going to build houses in Puerto Rico. And I thought, what are you talking about, God? How you want what? <laughs> I, I, I yeah, you, you had been in real estate and you, you had a little bit of experience with real estate and some flips and whatnot, but uh, certainly not uh, building in another region and yeah. those types of things. So anyway, it, it must have been a little bit of a daunting God whisper. <laughs> yeah, it was. I really was questioning my sanity, to be quite frank. <laughs> Thinking I went home and told people. You know, I'm calling people in the industry that I used to do real estate with and saying, hey, do you know any builders that could go to Puerto Rico? And, you know, this is what I've been called to do. We need to build homes. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I had several people that, you know, said possibly they could help. But at the end of the day, you know, that really didn't happen. And so what happened from there? I mean, you how long was it before you actually landed in Puerto Rico? Well, actually, September 20th was the day of Maria. October 27th, we became an official nonprofit, and I was in Puerto Rico in November. I showed up with 200 pounds of supplies in my bags and started from there going door to door. I reached out to another nonprofit organization on the island, and we went door to door delivering supplies and doing assessments, and it was just devastating. 
I just can't imagine. I mean, because this is not right on the main corridor of Puerto Rico, you know, where all the cruise ships and everything takes off. This is a little bit more remote. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Vieques is a small island seven miles off the southeast coast of the main island of Puerto Rico. And there's not a lot of industry there. The biggest industry is the tourist industry and the municipality. Those are the biggest hires on the island. So there's a, a severe poverty issue on the island. And many of the people were struggling prior to Maria, but Maria really made this uh, just a devastation for the people on the island. The homes that were already substandard are now, you know, uninhabitable. I can't imagine the you know, knocking on the doors or whatever was left of that Category 6 hurricane. I can't imagine the looks in their eyes and the desperation that must have, I mean, because they're remote. It's like they're on their own island with a, literally they are. And, and so they're probably communication towers were down and power was down. I mean, all sorts of things. Still, after a, maybe a month, is that correct? Oh, yeah. It took almost... When did we get power? I believe the last person got power nine months later from the storm. There was no running water either on the island for quite some time. So that came, the water started running again about two months later. So, you know, it's it's funny that you say that. Yeah, they were desperate, but it was amazing how positive they were, how resilient they seemed to be. Although it was devastating and heartbreaking, they were I went to the doors and they had smiles on their faces. Really? Just, yeah. That's amazing. It was, they were just so joy filled. And, you know, I, I kept saying, Lord, I, I know you want me to tell people that I'm helping about you and have them come to know you. But the reality is it wasn't the victims that needed to hear about God. And that's a whole nother story in itself. But it was, it was tough. It really was very tough because they were devastated. Although they still had smiles on their faces, they were struggling. They were struggling in ways that us in, back in the States really can't imagine. So Vicki, when you arrived at the island and you met these people, what was the terrain like? You know, I saw lots of videos and whatnot where trees were uprooted and houses were leveled. I mean, what, what was it in reality there? What did you face? It was overwhelming. When we flew into the main island, the landscape just didn't even appear to be the same. What once was green was now just brown. Puerto Rico is very lush, very green, and there were no leaves on the trees. There were no palm fronds on the palm trees. The whole land sticks in the air. Yeah, it just looks so different. Then to get to Vieques, I had to take a smaller plane to get over there. And when I arrived there, what well, didn't even appear to be the same island beaches were totally in a different position. The sand had shifted in a way that things looked unfamiliar. Homes were, some were completely leveled. A lot of the homes were built out of wood. The wood homes were gone. The wooden roofs were gone. Cement homes were damaged, severely damaged. Walls, cement walls had moved and buckled. And like I said earlier, it was like a war zone. That's really what it looked like. Wow. I can't imagine. Yet these folks had a smile on their face. They were resilient. So what was your efforts like at that point? So what did you do? I mean, they had to be grateful for some provisions and whatnot. And so how did you kind of like 
huddle up and come up with a game plan to help and to serve and do your thing? So prior to getting to the island, I had donated some food to a nonprofit organization called Carefi, where Sonia Ventura was the founding member of the nonprofit Carefi. And I reached out to her somehow by the grace of God. I reached out to someone who, who I didn't know who got me in contact with her and told her I needed to come to the island to help the community rebuild. And we just instantly hit it off. She has such a servant heart. And this is hard. Uh, She just, she recently passed. She passed away from COVID. But you know, when I, when I met her on the phone, she was just this jovial woman. And I I got to the island and I met her in person and she just welcomed me as if I was her daughter that she hadn't seen in years. And I said, Sonia, you have the energy of a teenager. And later I was to find out that she was 75 years old and I would have never guessed. I really thought she was just, you know, maybe in a little older than me. She just looked like so spunky, but she had been going from door to door to the elderly and the bedridden bringing them supplies, bringing them to the doctors, bringing them sheets if they needed sheets for their bed, getting medical devices and medical supplies. And so I teamed up with her and we drove house to house. And sometimes because trees were down and such, we got out of the car and she says, okay, go to that house because she wasn't able to walk to, you know, as far as I could to the homes. And we just gave out you know, supplies. And as I was there, I would take, you know, looking around an assessment of the homes. And my goal was to build 100 new homes. I thought I couldn't build or rebuild there because, you know, any reconstruction or additions or anything are so much more time and money than to just build. And I don't know how to build cement homes. We build in wood in the States. So I went back to my board and I said, listen, I know I said we weren't going to do repairs, but I haven't met a family yet that doesn't need repairs. Like we have to figure out a way to do this. So that's what we did. We ended up doing repairs and we ended up rebuilding and repairing over 300 homes. So, Vicki, you were gathering supplies and whatnot wherever you could find them and loading them. You didn't even have a truck. I mean, so you were loading the supplies on top of a, an SUV and tying them down with ropes and whatnot and taking them out into the bush, if you will. How many people were there with you in those efforts as far as, you know, the rebuilding, refurbishing type of efforts? Well, at first there was nobody. (laughs) And then I started meeting people on the streets. And before I knew it, the team went from me to two to three. And then we ended up with, by year three, we had 23 employees working for us. And we had a steady stream of volunteers coming to the island. Wow, that's amazing. Over 300 homes that you helped refurbish and whatnot. Did you build any new homes or was it all refurbishing? We built one from, there was a little bit of a cement walls. So that was one house that we, I would say we almost completely built from the ground up. And then we had two others that were pretty major projects like building the walls and redoing the windows, doors, everything. But the majority of the homes that we did, we repaired the roofs. Uh, replace the roofs. And then, boy, I really don't recall exactly how many doors and windows we installed, but I know the number was a bunch. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, wow. And it was done mostly with the locals. It wasn't, you know, was it people from mostly Puerto Rico or that island or from 
outside of there. Yeah, the majority of the workers were from Vieques, Puerto Rico. I really wanted to hire, I, I actually, I really wanted to get volunteers, obviously, because the labor is free. However, knowing that they had lost so much, I had decided early on that I was going to figure out a way to employ as many people as I possibly could. That way I could re-stimulate the economy in one way and at least try to help the locals be able to feed their families again. So that was a whole another project in and of itself because I don't speak Spanish fluently. (laughs) I really don't speak Spanish at all. I can say hello. I can ask how they're doing. I can say nice to meet you. But that's about the extent of my Spanish. And I tried, but I just couldn't learn it. So thankfully, they know English. But it was it's difficult being a woman in charge of a construction crew and not speaking the language because they're accustomed to having men lead jobs on the island. And they didn't always believe me when I told them how we were going to build because building in the States is much different than building in Vieques, Puerto Rico. So the majority of the people that we hired were actually all of the people that we hired were directly from the island. Well, I'm sure that they were extremely grateful for the work and the service that they were providing, you know, and that was their family, their neighbors, their, their locals. So I'm, I'm sure that was amazing. Well, and you mentioned three years. It was a three-year project. Well, we got there in November, like I said, November 2017. We didn't get our first, we got a little bit of donations prior to arriving to the island. And then we didn't get our, really our first donation until April of 2018. And from there, God just opened the floodgates. And from 18 through almost right until COVID hit. And so it was about right about three years that we were working full time doing the construction. And then when COVID hit, that changed the way we did our work over there. And we started doing things a lot differently. Right. And then you ended up Purchasing a home in Fort Myers, Florida, is that correct? I actually had a home in Fort Myers, Florida. That's where I was living. So when I went to Vieques, I was not living in Vieques, Puerto Rico full time. That was a home that I had purchased as a vacation home, but more as an investment that I had rented out. So yeah, I had been in Fort Myers for quite some time. And in Massachusetts, I split my time. So it's January of 2022, just nine months ago, and you're at your home in Fort Myers and things started to happen again. What, uh, what happened there? Oh, craziness. <laughs> I was there and I started hearing this noise. Actually, I had furniture out in my front yard and I needed to go get it because it began to rain. And when I went out to start my truck, so that way I could open the doors to put the furniture in. I was giving it to somebody. I wanted to put it in my truck so that way it wouldn't get wet. And when I turned on the truck, I heard a recording, like an emergency response with a loud beeping noise saying to take immediate cover, a tornado was touching down in Fort Myers. And I thought, well, this is crazy. Fort Myers is a very large area. Where is this going to touch down? And I looked around and it was raining and I put the furniture in and I was like, oh, I hope it's not around here, but it didn't appear any, like I didn't see anything. So I went inside and I'll tell you, I wasn't in a house. I was in a mobile home. I walked into the mobile home 
and I started to fold laundry. I was getting ready to go to church and all of a sudden my dog was pushing at me, pushing at me. And he was kind of like, almost like trying to like corner me like around my leg and he's pushing me. And I'm like, Tango, what are you doing? You know, he's, he's just, I'm like, I don't understand. And then all of a sudden I stopped and this, like everything, the light in the inside turned like this yellow color. And I heard this noise and I thought to myself, Oh Lord. And I just prayed, Lord Jesus, I know this is a tornado coming. Please protect every single person in its path. Lord, I don't know where to go. Please protect me. And not even thinking I ran out because I'm in a mobile home. I can't, where am I going to hide? And I ran outside (laughs) and I look over and everybody, all my neighbors are standing in the street. They looked at me. There's like, look, there's a tornado. And I said, we need to be in shelter, not staring at it. And everyone looked at me like I was crazy and it had gone. I didn't even get to see it, but it literally went right down the end of my road. And I, I ran to my truck and I thought, this isn't really happening. And I started my vehicle. I grabbed my dog. I threw him in and I took off because I just thought that tornado just came from where my mom and my son's Nana was, where they lived, which is just not even two miles around the corner. I got in the truck. I drove as fast as I possibly could. And... um I got to the prior, while this was happening, I was texting them and my mom had gone to her friend's house and my son's Nana had gone to the grocery store. So I went to the grocery store first because I knew she was the most susceptible because she wasn't in a concrete home. And that's where the storm came from, from the grocery store she was at. And sure enough, the grocery store had gotten damaged and had gone right through the parking lot. They had all huddled in the center of the grocery store to stay safe. And right after that, she was okay. I went to check on her house. It was fine. She went home. And as I was driving away to go check on my mom, I don't know what happened, but I just thought I need to pull in here. And again, another God whisper, I pulled into the neighborhood and it was just utter despair. The mobile homes were twisted up. Metal was wrapped around trees. People were just walking around I heard people crying, people hollering, and I just started, I parked my truck, I rolled down the windows for my dog, and I just started walking, and I could hear people, and I just walked into homes of debris, like they weren't homes anymore, they were twisted messes, and I was going in and just pulling people out of their homes, and I just, the fire department was there, I teamed up with them and some other emergency personnel, and I just, you know, I explained that I I worked disaster relief. And I began going door to door and just pulling people out, putting them in my truck and bringing them over to a local church for shelter. The church had no idea they were going to be a shelter. I had just told them, hey, I'm bringing people to you. And that's what I did. And before we knew it, I I would say, everyone's like, well, where's the shelter? I'm like, the church, just go to the church. And it was Sunday morning. So church was ready to happen. But of course, nobody was showing up to church. It was, you know, an EF2 tornado just touched down. We, you know, it's not something that happens in Fort Myers on the regular basis. So I just kept bringing people into the church. And then after they said another tornado was coming, so we moved as quickly as possible. People trying to insane, listen, you can't grab stuff. Grab your medicine, grab your animals, let's go. So that's what they did. 
as soon as I knew the last person was out of there, I immediately drove over to the local hardware stores. I began getting donations. I filled the entire back of my pickup truck and I went back to the neighborhood a few hours later and people were already back working on fixing up their homes and pulling the debris out and cleaning up. And I just went door to door to door, giving out supplies, water and tarps and other supplies and contractor bags, gloves, you know, things that were donated. And that was just, uh, like I said, January of this year. And here we are uh, now. And we're all very aware of the devastation that has happened, in, especially there in the Fort Myers area in Florida. And I know that you are on your way down there to the relief efforts again. Uh, probably a lot more devastation than there was in uh, January of this year. And tell us a little bit about what you've heard about the Fort Myers area and what you'll be facing there. Utter devastation. Catastrophic devastation of historic proportions. Hurricane Ian, not only has it claimed hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses, but it's also claimed numerous lives. It doesn't even look like the same area. My family, my friends, and people I don't know are posting photographs and videos and places where homes once sat. It now looks like the ocean or a lake. I think the devastation there is incomprehensible. When Katrina hit Louisiana, I think that we know what that devastation was and we're hearing that the storm brought in even more severe damage because it was an even larger area. So Vicki, I know that you are, like I said, on your way down there, you're gathering provisions, you're gathering donations and whatnot, and I want to help facilitate in any way I possibly can donations, relief effort, manpower, whatever it takes. And this is going to be going on for a long, long time. I've heard decades that it's going to take, you know, like uh, New Orleans and whatnot, that took a long time for that to, to rebuild. And, and it's probably very similar, maybe even worse, like you said. So how can we help? How can those who are listening help? How do they get in touch with you? Those types of things. Well, the best way people can help is if they're able to volunteer. We need volunteers. We need boots on the ground. We also need administrative help. And there's so many different ways that someone can volunteer from clerical to you know digging in and helping mucking gut homes. Monetary donations are also going to be needed so we can continue to buy supplies. Because as you said, this is going to go on for years and the stores were damaged, and a lot of the supplies there have been cut off. And what is there needs to be used by people who are there. So my thought is to get donations and supplies from other areas and then bring them into Florida to the Fort Myers Beach, Fort Myers area. So we're going to need volunteers and monetary donations. Hope Builders is a 501c3 charity. So donations are you know, tax deductible and you would need to speak to you know, a tax professional to find out exactly what the deductions would be. But I would say first and foremost, volunteers and monetary donations. Are there places to stay if people were able to go down there or what does that look like? That is the most difficult part of this. 
over 250,000 people lost their homes. And that was just the beginning numbers. I don't know what that number is up to now. So housing is really going to be difficult. I'm going to be going down in a camper and staying in a camper. And I guess I'll be parking lot hopping. <laughs> I'll go and when someone says I have to leave, I'll go to another parking lot. But that's how I'll be living. And I guess that would be probably the only way unless they knew people that were in the area. So that's going to be a challenge for sure. Right. Well, is there a website or something that we can, you know, steer people towards for help or, you know, putting their hand up and saying, hey, I want to help. I want to do what I can and and whatnot. So what is that website? Yes, we have a website. It's www.hopebuildersinc.org. And we have a page for donations and we also have a page for volunteers. So if they hit the donate button, that will bring them to a platform where they can donate or they could hit the volunteer button and that will bring them to how to volunteer or they can hit both. <laughs> and we also are able to accept checks through the mail and that's post office box 112 Buzzards Bay, Massachusetts 02532. Well, Vicki, I'll put this in the show notes so that people can uh, go to that and get it and what have you. And we're going to get this posted as quick as we possibly can so that people are aware and they know where to go and can help in whatever capacity that they have the ability to help. So thank you for your efforts. Thank you for all that you have done and what you will continue to do in the future. Thank you, Glade. I really appreciate your time and having me on your show today. We'd like to thank our guests for sharing a part of their experience with us on this episode of Why Not You. Also, we'd like to thank Mix It 6 Studios for producing, editing, mixing, and creating our great music for this podcast. But most importantly, we'd like to thank you for listening. Be sure to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Also, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode of Why Not You. See you next time.